Sportsnet 590 The Fan. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so uh, one quick note here before we get to Jimmy Murphy. Uh, Shane Wright, uh, his conditioning stint with Coachella Valley of the American Hockey League is over, so he's been recalled by the Seattle Kraken. Now, I'm still of the belief that Seattle is leaning very much in the direction of sending him to Team Canada uh, at the upcoming World Juniors, which would mean that he would have the ability to play this week against the Montreal Canadiens and then would have to fly to Moncton on the 8th. Training camp begins on the 9th. I wonder if there's an outside chance they would want him to play against the Capitals. I don't think so. That's the the other game this week for for Seattle after the Montreal game. And I, I would have a hard time believing that considering what we saw at the NHL draft, that uh, that Shane Wright wouldn't a want to or b be allowed to play in that game for the Seattle Kraken against the Montreal Canadiens. I know what's happening with Seattle and piling up wins now when you can. I just wonder about Seattle letting him play that Montreal game and then sending him off to the World Juniors, um, and then after that, it's jump ball. Don't know where he's going to end up. Does he go back to Seattle? Does he go back to Junior? Does he get traded? Etc. 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 But for now, he's on his way back to Seattle uh, to once again become a member of the Kraken. All right, uh, from Seattle to Boston. And the Bruins are just ripping into this league like a hog into truffles, being led by their new coach, uh, Jim Montgomery, who's amongst the top of a lot of people's ballots for coach of the year early. Uh, But Bruce Cassidy, former Boston Bruins coach, makes his return tonight to Beantown as his Vegas Golden Knights face off against the Boston Bruins. Jimmy Murphy's got a really nice piece on Cassidy at Boston Hockey now, and he joins me now. Murph, how are you today? I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, man. Give me a give us some context here. Give us some give us a, a sense of how big this is. The uh, the return of Bruce Cat. I know everyone's in love with uh, with Montgomery, and for good reason. The Buffalo, the Boston Bruins are are firing on all cylinders right now. But how big a story is the return of Bruce Cassidy now? I think it's pretty big. I mean, look, he he spent a significant time here. Uh, you know, he's here since he got hired in two, 2017 when he replaced uh, Claude Julien in February of that year, and a lot of things happened. He took him to a Stanley Cup final, came within one game of winning it. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's huge for him, but I also think it's it's big for the team as well. Um, you know, look, we're, we're going to hear – we've heard tons of stories and we'll continue to hear them of what might have happened with that team and if he lost the room and if he was too hard on some of the younger guys like a Jake DeBrusque or a Connor Clifton. And, you know, I've been told some of that's true, some, some of it isn't. Um, but it was clear, I mean – from what they've done so far, it's clear that they needed a new voice, and that's just the way it goes in sports. And I was listening to you earlier, and you, I agree 100%. You know, the same thing happened in Vegas. They need a new voice there. And, uh, you know, you look around the league, this happens all the time. But I don't think anyone thought that it was going to be this much of an impact, that they would be where they are at 20-3 and three right now uh, in the month of December, considering as well that Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand and even Matt Grizzlick were out for extended periods of time to start the season. Yeah. So... Um, I think it's good. I, I, I'm interested to see the crowd's response. My gut is that they cheer him, um, but I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how they, they treat him when he's introduced, and I would imagine the Bruins are going to do some kind of tribute video as well. Do you think that um, Bruce Cassidy coaching had any played any part in the decision of David Krejci to walk away last season, only to come back this season under a new coach? I don't. I, I really think that that, you know, from by all accounts, and, I, you know, Krejci and I have a mutual friend, and by all accounts, he just really needed a break, and he really needed to get back to his roots. Um, you know, you've talked about it a bunch of times in this show, and I, I think we both know that the mental part of COVID, uh, you know, I know these guys are millionaires. Oh, I yeah. know nobody should be feeling sympathy for them. I get it that that's how fans look at it, but they're human beings. And the mental part took its toll on so many players, and it took its toll on him. I mean, he didn't see his immediate family for, you know, I, I think from what I heard, almost two years. Uh, so it's mm. it's something that he needed to do at that point in his life. Um, he wanted to go over there, and he, he did it, and he, he was able to stay in shape, obviously, and still play and keep it. I know it's not the NHL, but he was able to keep in playing shape while he was there. And 
I think it refreshed him. I really do. I, I think it was exactly what he needed at this point in his career, and it might have bought him a few more years in the NHL, but I, I don't think it went back to Cassidy. I think this was more something he was planning on probably, uh, you know, since they came back from COVID. Uh, I, I just yeah. think he needed that at that time in his life. Um, it, It'll be interesting here, and I, I want to get your thoughts on, on Bruce Cassidy when he was with the Boston Bruins. And, you know, whenever I hear, like, we all remember that. Like, that was a shocker when, when Claude Julien was, was fired and Bruce Castor was called up from Providence. Um, I didn't like it because, A, uh, I think Claude Julien's an excellent coach, but I was really happy about it because Bruce Cassidy got another shot at it. And Bruce Cassidy, as mm-hmm. you all know, had already had one go around in the NHL, um, and there was a belief that he was going to be a career minor league coach at that time. And that the NHL wasn't going to call come calling again. And A, I like the fact that Cassidy got a second chance. And B, I really like the fact listen, Jim Montgomery got a second chance too, so that's you know a, a history here in Boston. I really like the fact that when he got that chance, he really did something with it. That he really did something with this Boston Bruins team and helped cement that this guy is an NHL coach and now he's on, you know, another NHL team and it's a team that's around the top. Uh, both their division, the conference, the league, etc. But I, I can't help but but thinking like there there was that feeling around the league that is Bruce Cassidy a good coach? Yes, but he's probably going to spend his life plying his trade in the American Hockey League. Mm. Do you have a thought on that one? If you can go back to the day that Julian was dismissed and, and Cassidy was brought up. Well, look, I, I'm with you. I didn't like when that happened. I hated how the Bruins did it. I don't know if you recall how they. You know, they did it oh, yeah. as the Patriots Super Bowl parade was going on, kind of under the shadow of that, so they can kind of – they're pretty good at trying to do slip news dumps past us. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't go down well. It, did, it didn't sit well with a lot of people at the time, including myself. Um, but it turned out to be the right move. And, look, I'll, I'll give Don Sweeney credit. That's He's two for two now, uh, making these moves that don't sit well with the fan base and the media. Uh, they both turned out to be uh, the right move. Bruce Cassidy, as you pointed out, Jim Montgomery. But as far as, you know, Cassidy and whether he was ever going to get another shot, you know, I remember having a conversation with him, actually, uh, when he was in a, in a coach in Providence, and then he was up for a couple Bruins games, sitting in the press box. And I remember just talking to him about what went wrong in Washington and, and why he thought that happened and why he thought he hadn't received another shot in an NHL job yet. And he said, look, when I got to Washington, I'll be honest, Murph, I was awestruck. I, I literally was awestruck. There's a lot of big names in that room. He had Jagger there. Um, and he okay. didn't know how to handle it. He didn't know where his place was, where his voice should be uh, in a dressing room like that that was established. Well, now he comes into a dressing room with, you know, the likes of Bergeron and Marshan and Chara. Uh, you know, I'm probably forgetting some guys at the time. But – he comes into another strong leadership core, but what he did, and he said this to me yesterday too, again, it was he embraced it. He he wanted to learn from them and really just kind of bounce ideas off them, you know, use them as sort of that intermediary uh, or that conduit to the, to the players and, and really get a feel for what's going on there. And he said it helped him a ton and it taught him that it's not just about, winning and losing in a big picture. If you really want to be a, a regular Stanley cup contender and have a shot at the championship each season, uh, you need to understand it's a process. You need to understand that uh, there's so many little things that go into it, right? A dynamic of a dressing room. Uh, it's not just X's and O's. It's reading people. It's understanding uh, the mood of a person. And it's more a mental thing when you're a coach too. So, I thought that was really interesting that he said that again yesterday and when he said it to me years back. But I I really think that, you know, he looks at that experience. He was shocked when he got fired here, for sure. And it it hurt him. I know it did. Uh, He grew up a Bruins fan. And, you know, you saw in that story that he's such a traditionalist, much like yourself. He really appreciates hockey history, specifically the Bruins history. Really embraced the original six tradition of the team. Um, and, and it hurt him, and I think it still does. But I, I think that now versus when he got let go by Washington, he just has so much more experience and so much uh, more of an understanding on how to coach. Maybe he needs to be a little 
you know, nicer to the younger kids. I don't know because it is a, it's a it's a different league. We know that it's a different generation now and how to coach them. Uh, and he'll learn that more as he goes on here. But I think that's why he's doing so well in Vegas is that he just really let himself be influenced by those leaders in Boston. How um how then is, has Jim Montgomery been able to do this? Like, first of all, I, I think we've forgotten just how, how good a coach Jim Montgomery is. And mm. he's proving it right now with the Boston Bruins. And whether it was, as you mentioned off the top, the injuries, you know, McAvoy, Marchand, Grizzlick off the, uh, off the hop. And, you know, Boston Bruins, you know, jumped right into this season full steam ahead. There was no, like, we just thought, that okay, the Boston Bruins are going to try to play 500, maybe try to keep yeah. it ahead above water, and then reinforcements are coming, and we'll see what the Boston Bruins end up with. Not, Montgomery wasn't having any of it. So how was he able to do this? Like, they looked right away. We started watching Boston beginning of the season. Okay, what's a Montgomery Bruins team going to look like? And it was, they just looked like they were playing more free, more open. Um, there was not as much of a, as strict an adherence to the defensive side of the puck. There was more of a mm-hmm. creative flow to the game. But, you know, what, what am I missing here? Like, what, what else did Montgomery do? How did... How did this happen with the Boston Bruins under Montgomery? Well, you know, ironically, and this is nothing to take away from Montgomery, too, because I've got, a, I've got two reasons of why I think he's doing this. But the first one, ironically, I think is the same thing that happened with Cassidy when he, when he came on board. He walked into one heck of a locker room when, with those guys we've mentioned before, the Martians, the Bergerons, what have you. And even Pasternak now has developed into a great leader in that dressing room. Um, and, and he really leans on them heavily. And I, I think, you know, if you if you can watch carefully, whenever they zoom in on a bench or whenever they go to the bench, Patrice Bergeron is, is basically like a Reg Dunlop for, for Jim Montgomery. He's a player coach right now. Uh, you know, he, he's Reggie Dunlop out there, minus maybe the fighting and the theatrics. Um, but he's he, he's really just been such a great help to Jim Montgomery, and I, I think he really leans on those guys. Uh, and that's helped him a lot. But I also look back to, let's not forget, before Jim Montgomery entered the NHL, where he was coaching, that's the University of Denver. So Jim Montgomery, you know, had sort of that background of coaching this generation of players that are coming into the NHL now. He was familiar familiar with the approach there. He was familiar with what makes them tick. And I think that that connection to the youth – uh, that he had, whether it was in Dallas and now in Boston, I think that's helping him as well. I, I think he he really is. He may not seem it at times, but I think he has a bit of new wave in him, and I, I think that's helping right now. And it's it, it's really just a combination of things, but the veteran leadership he has, yeah. and then sort of that new wave mentality of coaching. Well, one of the things, um, one of the things that's working, and it's glorious to see. And I know a lot of people will point and say, "Well, he's not getting paid like a third liner. Why is he playing third line?" Man, Hall and Coyle together look real good. Like we talk, oh. like the the you know the 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 checks playing together look fantastic. I mean, Bergeron, Marchand, DeBrusque, etc. But man, Taylor Hall and uh, and Charlie Coyle look great together here, Murph. Yeah, they do. You know, and look, I, I remember when that move was made for Charlie Coyle. Um, you remember they gave up Ryan Donato, who's obviously a local kid here. His dad played yep. for the Bruins, coaches Harvard University, and so on. And, and it was not a popular move at first. It, it was like, look, here's the Bruins giving up on another young guy, and they ruined him, and they, they, they didn't know what to do with it. And they've, they've had that knock on them that they've really had. And they have had some trouble developing some guys. I think it's Danica right now uh, who ended up in Vancouver this season. But, you know, yep. I think besides now, you know, he went ahead and got Lindholm last season, but I think up until that point, I've always been of the adage that that was Don Sweeney's greatest move was getting Charlie Coyle. Because if you remember, he got it during that season where they Mm. went to the Stanley cup final lost to the blues. And once they got him, everything sort of fell into place in terms of their center depth. And now you look at it, you got Krejci back. Coyle doesn't have to play as much second-line center as he did when Krejci was gone. Yeah. He falls into his usual spot there. And, man, he has become one of the best penalty-killing centers in the NHL this season. It's unreal uh, how much they lean on him on the PK. So it's been great. And, yeah, he's formed some great chemistry with uh, with Taylor Hall. It's interesting because they're kind of opposite players. Coyle is – you know, the Bruins kind of have two centers like this with Krejci and Coyle. 
Coyle's a very pensive guy. He thinks the game very much. He's not the fastest guy. But then you look at Hall. I mean, that guy can blaze down the wing. So they kind of feed off each other there. And and Coyle said to us the other day, he's just looking to get out there and create space for Taylor Hall, whether it be in the corners or in front of the net, and he'll do the rest. So it's been a great combination for them. And, look, I'm not going to forget uh, Trent Frederick, who's really – shown a lot of development this season and really gotten a lot of confidence game by game. And he had two goals the other night and he's fit in really nicely on that third line there. So the group on you, man, some would argue even four deep, but they've got three good lines. And Jeff, we all look at the, the Stanley cup champions of the last few years. They've always got a great effective third line. And that's important. It's true. Okay. Work with me here. Tim Thomas Tukarask, Lena Solmark? Is he on his way to being in the in in the same conversation as these two? What a season he's having! Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? I want to I don't want to get too far into the future or, or kind of dampen the mood <laughs> for Bruins fans, but I I don't know. That's a great question. I I wonder about that. Is he is he becoming the future between the pipes for the Bruins right now, the main guy, or is he becoming? trade bait down the line uh, because you got Jeremy Swayman right behind him. So uh, it, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic they have going on. It's not a bad problem to have, but sooner or later they might have to pick one or the other. And, you know, being that there's a salary cap and, and Swayman's younger, it, it, it could, I would think it would be him, but you never know, but credit to him. I'll tell you what, Jeff, I, I saw a story on him and I was unaware of it, but he, they did a profile on him on Nesson, uh, I think it was over the summer or right before the season started. And I didn't realize he had lost yeah. his dad. And he had lost yes. his dad when he was over here playing in Rochester. Yeah, and he wasn't able to go over for the funeral. Uh, it really affected yeah. him. And and just coming to Boston was a real fresh start for him. Um, and he he tried to learn. He's I'll tell you, Linus Allmark sometimes interviewing him, Jeff, I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure. He, he's, he's a tough oh, nut yeah. not to crack sometimes. Yeah, he's had a, he's a tough nut to crack, but it's because he thinks he wants to give you an answer. Sometimes he comes off as he's being standoffish with you, but he's not. He really wants to give you a well-thought-out answer, and it takes a little time to do that. But once he does, eh, man, his answers make a lot of sense. And I, I really think that he yeah. has a better grasp on life in the game right now, and that's why he's doing well for the Bruins. Yeah, don't disagree. Both goaltenders there are uh, are excellent interviews. Uh, Murph, we're up against it. Thanks as always for stopping by, pal. Great piece at uh, Boston Hockey. I appreciate now. it. It's uh, Bruce Cassidy. The Knights, re- Cassidy returns to Boston. It is the Vegas Golden Knights and the Boston Bruins tonight. Uh, great job, Murph, as always. Uh, we are hitting a break. We're going to come back and talk to David Amber about a few things. You know what? He'll be good on the Marner thing, too. I know Elliot really didn't want to bite. Elliot didn't want to put his, his hand in the trap of... Does Marner have the record or a record? We'll see if Amber wants a bite on this one. Also, we'll talk about uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey this evening, the Caps and the Oilers. Uh, Plenty to get to. Hour two's on the horizon. Keep it here. We're back in a moment. Fan. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Thanks to uh, Jimmy Murphy for stopping by an hour one from Boston Hockey Now. It is the Vegas Golden Knights and the Boston Bruins uh, this evening. But on Rogers Monday Night Hockey, it is the Washington Capitals and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the man orchestrating all of it is uh, David Amber, who joins me now. Uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet. Hello, DA. How you doing, pal? Good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I want to uh, I want to jump right in to the deep end here and put you on the spot. I'm not sure if you heard the first hour about oh, the, God. Uh, the Mitch Marner. No, no, streak. no, not you the Marner to, stuff. I'm getting you on. <laughs> I'm getting you on the spot. I'm getting you on the spot here. Uh, Elliot said you guys might end up doing this on before the Dallas game. Who knows? Or maybe an intermission. So. So I reached out to the NHL about the the, the Marner points here. This com, comes off conversations with uh, lead researcher from Hockey Night in Canada, amongst other NHL teams we should add as well, Stan Narodka. So 
the the Mitch Marner point streak, 19 games. Now, I reached out to the NHL, and this was the distinction they made on Babe Die, who had a point streak with the St. Pats of 20 games. And they said that, uh, hey, let me grab the email here. I'll make sure it's from Scott Rogers, the NHL. Uh, The NHL standard for point streaks is consecutive team games with at least one point within a regular season, and therefore Marner has the longest in Maple Leafs franchise history. Babe Dye has at least one point in 20 consecutive regular season games contested by the St. Pats, with 16 taking place in 21-22 and 4 in 22-23. That marks the longest such run by a Toronto player, quote, spanning seasons. So... Considering, you know, we have records that get carried over and streaks carried over from one season to another in other sports, even in the NHL. I mean, last time I checked, Ironman streaks go from one season to the next as well. Do you consider Mitch Miner as having a record or the record? Listen, Jeff, I, I preface this by saying Daryl Sittler was my favorite player growing up. So I was sort of part of me was like, oh, I'd love to keep his name in the Leaf record book forever. Um, having said, this is ten, kind of much. Ten points, much to stay in, ten, ten, ten points to stay in DA. Don't worry, Sittler will always, that's not going anywhere. Oh, my God, that was, that's still, you know what? And I think, we, aren't we on the 25th yes. anniversary of that or whatever? So, um, you know, this is much ado about nothing. The record is Marner's. I'm not even sure. You're the only person I know who would even dig this up, who would even think to do that. I, I mean, you know, Stan. yeah, I think it's undeniably it's Mitch Marner's record. It's 19 straight games in one season, and I think that's how it's good, the lens it will be viewed from, except on your show. Not going to even, not even. Not not even gonna hear like the 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 faint cries of as Elliot mentions the great grandkids of Babe Die saying don't forget don't forget about listen- Cecil don't forget about Cecil in the twenty games. <laughs> I listened to the first hour of the show and I was like oh god don't tell me he's gonna you, you said I'm gonna ask Amber about this I'm like please don't ask me about this <laughs> I don't have my I feel the same regard I think it's uh, legit I think Mitch Marner's earned the record and you know what he could put it all to rest um, so how far is he off Dye's record uh, the the other record if you want to put it that way. One. 20 is it? One. He's one. So, yeah, yeah. Babe died. So, one one to tie, two to win. Okay. So, a point tomorrow, and it can just undeniably, without any type of controversy, we can say it. And, and again, two games, and we can then, it's a legit, there's zero controversy. I don't think there's much controversy. I don't think Leak Nation thinking about it in those terms. I I, I think we all have sort of moved on. (laughs) Almost all of us. We've all moved. We've all moved on from a hockey player from 100 years ago. Shocking. <laughs> Incred- incredible. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm not going to get you to take the uh, the cheese in the trap on that one. Okay, what else can I get you on here? So tonight the Washington Capitals face off against the Edmonton Oilers. You know, I don't know that there's any hot takes on this one other than, listen, dude, your show tonight's stacked with star power. Like, uh, of all the possible topics with Washington, what's the one, or, or the Oilers for that matter, what's the, what's the one that has the most flypaper for you? Well, I know, I know one thing surrounding this Washington team is where are they as a franchise, right? The oldest team in the league, I believe, 16 players, 30-plus, and they're incredibly banged up. It's, or, or, you know, it's too bad we're not seeing yeah. you know, Washington capital team we would like to see. Orlov, uh, obviously, uh, Tom Wilson, Backstrom. You know, it's just been a, a mash unit for the team. And now add Darcy Kemper, who, who left Saturday night's game, and uh, Farivardi as well. So, you know, it's just been one injury after another. But the grade eight, Alexander Ovechkin will be there. He's 101 goals behind Wayne Gretzky. So it could be another kind of big, interesting milestone-ish night. It could come within 100 of Gretzky with a goal tonight. Um, but the bigger storyline maybe is on the Edmonton side of things, right? Like Stuart Skinner's uh, expected to make another start. He's won his last three starts. That's been the big story in Edmonton, the goaltending. Um, and that's sort of been the the, the difficult storyline at Edmonton has been the goaltending, but the fun storyline has been McDavid and Dreisaitl. And, you know, they're off to their best years collectively. You know, they're accounting for 44% of the Oilers scoring this year. Two players, 44% of the team's goals. And, you know, they're both coming off four-point games. McDavid has scored in the last four games. Dreisaitl has scored in the last five games. I mean, it's unbelievable 
uh, what they've been able to do. And, and one thing we're going to work on tonight, not work on, but we're going to try and demonstrate tonight is why they've had so such great success two-on-one. You know, it's got to be every defenseman's nightmare when you look up and there's 97 oh. in, in, uh, coming in. I'm not sure what their success rate on two-on-ones is, but it's got to be infinitely higher than pretty much any other tandem coming in on you. And, you know, we have Keith Yandel, we have Cassie Campbell-Pascal, two, you know, former defensemen who can certainly speak to, you know, what that must be like in, in that circumstance, in that situation. So uh, we're going to break that down a little bit. And here's something, and this doesn't really, this falls outside the scope of, of Edmonton and Washington, but every week we do this one big okay. question. And this is our one big question tonight, and this is, I'm really excited to hear what the panel has to say about this, Anton Carter and the gang. Um, if you were essentially going to start a team uh, and you, you can't choose McCarr, Matthews, or McDavid, you know, what would you, you know, who would you build your team around? I mean, that's a great question because I think there's just so many different ways you could look at it, whether it's goaltending, defense, center. Uh, you know, do you want an established player? Do you want a young player because of his age? Uh, so I can't wait to hear what they have to say. I have a few thoughts on that. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on that. How- I, you know, I'm I'm curious how many people would say Jason Robertson. Ooh, that's interesting. I mean, he's entering that conversation. He has been. I mean, right now, would he not be the MVP? Yeah. He probably would be the MVP. Uh, yeah, it's 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 him or Connor, right? Yeah, I mean, I the think, only I, I think there would be a strong. I think there'd be a strong. There'd be a strong lean to Jason Robertson. I wonder well, if that. Dallas, I wonder if that could yeah. be the guy. I, I mean, Dallas's team is doing far superior to, to Connor's team. And I think that has to be given consideration. And as talented as the group as he has around him, he doesn't have a Leon Dreisaitl around him. And, and here, here's the thing. It's, it's, it's really almost unfortunate. Like mm-hmm. Connor McDavid, I think we actually just view him through it. We, we view it through such a different lens because he's just so exceptional. We've come to sort of expect that from him, and maybe it yeah. diminishes how we should look. If I took Connor McDavid's name off his stat line and put someone else's name, we'd be like, oh, my God, that's your MVP. But when you see Connor McDavid, you sometimes go, well, he's, of course, he's, <laughs> he, he's the best pure, you know, uh, maybe skilled player we have ever seen in the NHL. So that's maybe not a surprise. So um, I don't know. I, 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 I am interested, though, like, you know, who would you start your team with? Like, because I think of guys like maybe an Owen Power, maybe a Connor Bedard, like, right? Like, maybe you want the 18 year old Connor oh, Bedard yeah. and just lock that down. And that's who I'm going to build my franchise around, even though he hasn't played a single NHL game. I don't know. That's interesting. Or do you go, like, that, that, that's an intriguing one. Do you go with one of the young netminers, like that, that secondary group that's behind the Shishurkins or the Sorokins? Um, Jake Ottinger. The Vasilevskis. Do you start to. Well, that's where I was going to go with that. Do you look mm-hmm. at someone like Jake Ottinger? Do you look at um, who else? Uh, I think you might look at Florida's direction. I think you might look Philadelphia's direction. That's an interesting one. Do you go with? I mean, I to be honest with you, I always default towards defensemen, and that's why one 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 of one of my you know what you know might be an interesting name here. I'd be curious to see because you mentioned you know Cassie and Keith both mm-hmm. defensemen. I'm I wonder how many would say Rasmus Dahlin. Yeah, God, that hit he laid out. I I heard you talk about it a little bit, oh. uh, boy. Onieto. I did. Oh. It was Cronwell asking. The, the person, but, when I ever think of Cronwell, though, is I start thinking of Mo Sider because he's probably because he's wearing the same uniform. Yes. And the way he steps in on guys and he loves the reverse, you know, that the, 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 the cold shoulder or whatever we were calling it last week on our show. Yep. Anson was walking us through it. Um, but Darlene is, is yeah. getting that presence as well. You know, Darlene, it's funny because there were two moments. I'm not, I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch the game yesterday, but there were, there were two moments. There were two moments in the game. There was one, there was the hit, clearly, against Matt Nieto, which is, oh, just like, per, it was, it's perfectly timed. Like, very few players can make that hit. Um, but there was another moment um, where, you know, he's about to get trucked. Like big time, like he's in his zone. You know, he's he's last man in his zone, and Timo Meyer, who's a big, thick, strong dude, is coming at him and is about to waste him. And it's one quick little move, and Rasmus Dahlin is out of trouble. Like maybe I'm sort of talking myself into Rasmus Dahlin here, David, as we go through this conversation, as maybe being the answer to your question, maybe a combination. I'll go back and forth on Jason Robertson or Rasmus Dahlin. 
Like, man, you, you always we always talk about athletes hitting their stride. And when you watch Deline now, whether it's, you know, piling up points, whether it's more physical, whether it's more comfortable in, in all situations, whether there's there's no pain. Like, once upon a time, he sees you know, he some, sees someone like Timo Meyer come charging in on him like that. I mean, you know what's going to happen, right, DA? He's going to just get the puck off his stick as fast as he can and probably make a bad play. But right now, the game looks so slow around him right now. Like, that's all great hockey players will tell you. You know, the game slows down around them. Like, when you yeah. watch Dalene now, are you not saying, man, everything must seem real slow all around him because he's so poised, he, he makes the right plays, there's no panic, there's no rush. It's like he's skating in a rocking chair, like, going down the ice, like... I think I'm talking myself into Rasmus Stalin here, David, a little bit. Speaking of, you know, number one over, maybe Nico Heischer. Yeah. yeah maybe I mean, Nico Heischer is your guy or Jack Hughes is your guy. Yeah. This is an interesting question. I like this case. one. I like this one a lot. You've made a, a really compelling case for Dalene because the other thing to factor in, and I threw out Owen Power's name just because I think he's going to be this shutdown type defenseman. He might be yeah. like a Shea Weber type defenseman for the next 10 to 12 years. But he's just 20 years of age. He's just cutting his teeth, whereas Darlene's just 22 years of age, and he's played 300 NHL games. So you have a bit of a known commodity. Right? They always say, what does it take? What did, what did they say, 150, 180 games before you know a defenseman? Yeah. I, I, I always, you know what, to, to be honest with you, I always secretly think that that's always just general managers buying themselves time. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of think right. that you know, I kind of I, 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 I kind of think you know what you have in a defense by the time they're 21. Like yeah. there's going to be like improvement, like I, we get it, but I I think you know what you have by the time you're 21. Would you disagree, agree, or disagree on that one? Because I always wonder about you. Oh, we don't know about defense until the 26. 26? You can buy just buying yourself some time here on your draft pick, aren't you, Mister GM? <laughs> well, listen. Every circumstance is different. There, it's very different for Nicholas Cronwall to jump onto a team with Nicholas Lidstrom there as a pillar, a mentor. Right? True. It's very different. True or even Sean Dursey to go to L.A. and have Drew Doughty, et cetera. Like, it's different, right? It's different for McAvoy to learn under the tutelage of Zidane Ochara. And we've seen, especially in this market in Toronto, where there's been young defensemen who've come up, and they've had to be the guy, kind of like Darlene had to be the guy in Buffalo. And it, it wasn't a, a fun, you know, the last yeah. four seasons for him. So I do think there's something to that. I think you've got to maybe base it on a, a more individual basis as far as when you get to know what you have. But clearly, even at just 22 years of age, we know that Darlene is going to be a stud, and he's going to be a stud for a very, very long time. So I'm really interested yeah. to see sort of how the one big question shakes down. And, and it's funny, you, I didn't think of T-Shirt, and I know you love him. I know you're, he's sort of become your uh, Anthony Sorelli yeah. plus this year. But I would say, you know, Jack Hughes <laughs> is a guy. Jack Hughes is a guy who caught my eyes. Like, you know, he's so young, so skilled. You know, what about Nick Suzuki? I mean, just 23 years of age, way more size, plays center, can play all different, um, uh, you know, uh, circumstances, whether it's power play, PK, et cetera. There's just so, there's a lot of good options. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what they have to say. What about Brady Kachuk? I like this one. Okay, let me ask you about Brady, because I was making this point over the weekend. Like, you watched all of Keith Kachuk's career. Did Brady Kachuk not feel like Keith Kachuk over the weekend? Whether it's the, the Gordie Howe hat trick on Friday, the center ice at Madison Square Garden spotlight fight with Truba, Truck and Carlson, hey, welcome back to Ottawa, now member of Sandra, like, like on Saturday, scores the power play goal. Like, did that not seem like a Keith Kachuk weekend for Brady? It was an incredible weekend for Brady Kachuk. Um, we're going to have Chris Pronger on the show tonight. We went, we're going to ask him a little bit about it because it was very old school. And I think Keith Kachuk's a great, you know, a great example, maybe a great um, comparison. Uh, it, it's funny. I remember sitting down in St. Louis 2019 at the All-Star Weekend and sitting down with Brady, Matthew, and Keith, and we were talking sort of about their similarities and differences. It was a really fun interview because they're, they're such great speakers. I just had to lob it up and stand back and laugh. And, you know, Brady's like, oh, I'm the best scorer out of the three of us. And then it's that's like, yeah, call me when you get to 500, you know. <laughs> like, that's a big number, right? <laughs> that is a big, big number for him to, to be saying that. But they, I think they all agreed that, that Matthew might be the most skilled of the three and Brady might be the toughest of the three. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, they slapped the C on this young kid in Ottawa, and that could be a disaster for so many people. He's embraced it. Uh, you know, an American-born superstar player choosing to sign long-term in Ottawa. 
I mean, by all accounts, it's a really good storyline that he's developing. And maybe, just maybe, that that, you know, squaring off center ice, captain versus captain at MSG, follow that up, the overtime winner, and then another win. Maybe this could be some, you know, sliver of a, of a silver lining to, to turn the season for, for the Ottawa Senators because they got off to that horrible start once again. They buried themselves again. Um, but Brady Kachuk, is, mm-hmm. he, he's an electric player. And, yeah, the comparisons to his dad, you, you could physically, because Matthew doesn't, you know, Matthew's not a big, big guy, but Brady is a big man just like his dad. Yes. He, uh, he really is. Hey, you kind of buried the lead there a second ago, D.A. You guys have Pronger on the show today? Uh, well, he comes on. He comes on every Monday. He does a segment uh, for BetMGM. Um, but we just get we pick his brain. Um, you know, we've talked about all sorts of different uh, issues around the game and, and get his unique take. And, you know, we're going to ask him about Brady Kachuk. He, he's probably known Brady Kachuk since, since Brady was a little guy because he was probably coming around the dressing room uh, when he was teammates with Keith in St. Louis. So uh, we'll ask him about that. We might ask him a little bit about Truba as well because – you know, you heard the, the oh, yeah. you know, you played the clip from Luke Richardson, who was fine with it, but, you know, not all the players were necessarily fine with, with what we saw from Jacob Truba. So I want to get Chris Pronger's take about his, his big hits. You know, I, uh, I remember when, when Elliot and I had Pronger on the podcast, God, this, I think it was like two years ago or something like that. I asked him, I asked him where the 2010 pucks were. Mm-hmm. And he still has them. Remember when Pronger was like stealing the game pucks? Like, <laughs> he's such a devil, man. Like such a such a, such a Chris Pronger thing, right? Uh, such a such a Chris Pronger thing to do. I, uh, he still got them somewhere. Oh, <laughs> Did you ever give them back? Nope. It's <laughs> great, right? Oh my god! Yeah, and who's gonna uh, get them? It's so uh, it's so good. Yeah, Sorry. who's going to ask Chris Bronger for those things back? Uh, nobody. Okay, let me ask you a couple <laughs> more things about Washington. We'll let you get on with sure. your day. So you, you mentioned the Washington Capitals. They're one of, if not the oldest, to, to your point, teams in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, we always talk about aging curves and when a team's on its downward trend and they have their Stanley Cup you know, year and their, and their run and all that and a lot of individual achievement along the way. And that was really the zenith of the franchise, winning that Stanley Cup, of course. Um, I don't know that this team is going to allow themselves to rebuild as long as Ovechkin is chasing Gretzky. Like As long as Alexander Ovechkin is going for this record, they're still going to fill this team with quality players call it you know band-aid solutions whatever they're still going to fill this team with enough players around Ovechkin that they don't have to go through the awkwardness of a rebuild and breaking in new players as long as he's chasing Gretzky do you agree with that I think that I I I think this is going to be like if it's going to cost us prospects so be it if it's going to cost us picks so be it I think at a certain point here not that the whole organization is going to revolve around getting them the record but maybe at times it's going to feel that way. Do you agree with that? I uh, I definitely think that could play a role in some of the decision making. You know, from the executive level, uh, they're not going to clean. You know, it's not going to be Ovechkin skating around with eight guys just called up from AHL because they've traded off. You know, all their top players. That that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I also would say this: if healthy, if somehow they can get into the playoffs. And you look at that team. Darcy Kemper just come off the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Tom Wilson, you know, if Backstrom somehow can get back, he skated a couple times in a non-contact jersey at practice, and he can somehow get back, and this team can get in the playoffs. Does any team want to face the Washington Capitals in the postseason? A healthy Washington Capitals team? Mm-hmm. I would say no. I would say that's not the ideal first-round yeah. matchup for most teams. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say the window is completely shut on them being a competitive you know, cup contending team, but it's so hard to look at them in that vein, knowing the amount of injuries that they've suffered through right now. Um, but, but as far as I think, as it draws closer to Ovechkin, you know, eventually becoming the all-time NHL's goal scorer, that's going to become pretty much the primary focus. You know, when we get into that last countdown of, you know, 20, 25 goals, I could see, I could see the team like this is going to be the sole focus, and it's all going to be about Ovechkin and and the pursuit maybe more so than the team in its, in its you know, collective pursuit of a Stanley Cup. I, I can completely see that narrative playing out. Um, let, let me end on this one because you mentioned this in, in regards to your, your conversation tonight with Chris Pronger. Um, Jacob Truba. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I I maintain he stands out because few players do this anymore. You know, there's 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 only a couple. There's one in Detroit, and at times various defensemen can can time it right and can kind of catch you. But Jacob Truba hits with consistency and hits violently. And although some people may disagree with me, <laughs> he hits clean. He just hits hard. And I know Athanasiu did not like it. You mentioned Luke Richardson had no problem with it. Mm-hmm. How do you see Jacob Truba? Is he just like, you know, we just don't have defensemen like that in the NHL anymore, and that's why Jacob Truba of the Rangers stands out more than anybody else? Yeah, I, I think I think that you hit it on the head. I mean, how many years do you have to go back where there was 50 or 20 or 30 Jacob Trubas, right? I mean, we just aren't that oh, yeah. many play the game like that. You know, the Radko Gudises of the world and the Jacob Trubas of the world, they're few and far between. You stand out, and you have all these skilled players. And, you know, I, I know you and Elliot talked about this last week, and Elliot, you know, on Saturday night you talked about it, um, or Elliot talked about it in the uh, increased offense. You used to have fourth-liners who were specifically there to police against big hits like that, and that was their purpose, right? I mean, you had the guys there in place. Yeah. Someone takes liberties and takes a run at one of our skilled players or has a big, heavy, even if it's legal hit, they're not going to do it again because they're going to see our guy. The NHL is different now. Most fourth lines are filled with guys who are smaller, yeah. skilled, and are providing some sort of, you know, they're going to be great four checkers or whatever the case may be. There's, there, it's, it's a different makeup mm-hmm. of the league. And so that's also become, as you said, the, the lack of expectation from the forwards. I, I think that's a huge part of it. I don't have a problem with any of the hits that, that Truba delivered. And to his credit, you know, yeah. he has to answer the bell, and he had to answer it three times in two games, right? To Chuck at center ice, Jonathan Taves, Drew Jarkera, who we had a history with. So he had to answer the bell, and he yep. did. And I think he was actually trying to fire his team up because if there's one question mark surrounding the league right now that I just keep scratching my head at, it's the New York Rangers. I pretty boldly was like, oh, yeah, and pretty confidently was like, I look at them as a Stanley Cup caliber team, and they're a mess right now. I yep. have no idea what's going on there. And I think he's really trying to get some of that energy going at what's been just a horrible start for the Rangers. And um, and it's funny that it caught the you know the air of of Athos and EU, but at the end of the day, keep your head up, right? I mean, I, I think that's the bottom line. Uh, again, I think because there's so much of an accent on skill and speed that we've forgotten mm-hmm. that this is a very violent game and can be a very violent game. And uh, we'll close on this one. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. I don't know who's going to do it. I don't know who's going to be the guy. And maybe it's not a player. Maybe it's a goaltender. And if it is. <laughs> I know where you're going. My money, my my money, my my money's on Peter Kachetkov of the Carolina Hurricanes to do it, um, and that is to fight Jordan Bennington because he's <laughs> wanted one of these for years now. No one's obliged. Uh, we saw last week with Jordan Stahl, um, Jason Zucker. We saw on on, uh, on on Saturday in the game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, Craig Berube said, you know, he's not a fan. He needs to not worry about the antics and just stop pucks. Um, a, do you have a goaltender in mind who may oblige <laughs> and finally throw down with Jordan Bennington? And what do you think of the Bennington show right now with the St. Louis Blues? Uh, I think there would be a long line of willing combatants. Uh, I think, <laughs> you know, hey, listen, Jordan Bennington, good goaltender. He has a Stanley Cup ring and all But the antics, the theatrics... Yep. It, it's very different in my opinion. And I, listen, I didn't play the game at this level, but I, in my opinion, a guy's running through your crease, you defend your space, you defend your crease. That's very, very different than you're behind the net and you're throwing gloves in people's face. You're sh- throwing cold shoulders on guys uh, and you're chirping yeah. a lot, you know, and you're banging into goalies on the cross ice, uh, on the cross ice, go to your bench. I, I, I don't get it. If that's just how he works himself up. I personally kind of, you know, I don't get it, and I and I kind of do hope someone calls their shot. It's funny that you picked out a goalie to go toe to toe with them. Uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be a long line. Yeah. He's the big yeah, guy. It, it, Kochetkov, who I still have trouble saying his name. That would be an interesting one. I mean, <laughs> Azam Kadri, I'm sure would love to be in that line with him too. Um, I, I I don't know. Right. I I think it's. You know, I, I think Barube said it best. You know, leave the, the scraps 
you know, they've got a big, strong team in St. Louis. They don't need, you know, their goalie to be playing that role for them and just focus on what you need to focus on and that's stopping the puck. You know, listen, St. Louis has lost 10 games this year by three or more goals. Think about that for a second. That's not all goaltending. I'm not putting this all on bidding too. I'm just making a point. They've got some issues right now. They don't need a distraction that is, you know, their their goalie trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, start a battle royal every game. (laughs) They need wins. They need points. Yeah. Uh, That central is competitive. All right. Looking forward to tonight as always. Uh, Yourself, Anson Carter, Keith Yandel, Cassie Campbell-Pascal. It is Rogers Monday Night Hockey. 8 o'clock is the pregame. That's Eastern. Puck drops uh, just after 8.30. DA, always a pleasure, man. You be well. Yeah, thanks so much. It's going to be a lot of fun tonight. I appreciate it, Jeff. We'll talk soon. All right, take care. There he is, the great David Amber, host of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. This evening, it is the Washington Capitals facing off uh, against the Edmonton Oilers. So no shortage of stars tonight uh, around Sportsnet uh, when it comes to hockey. Uh, all right, we're going to hit a break. And a few things I want to get to um, after we come back. Matty Marchese is going to stop by. We should probably talk a little bit, if not a lot, about Patrick Kane. Uh, who reached career point number 1,200 as a member of the Blackhawks over the weekend. Like, he's still a ways away from Stan Makita. But the question becomes, even though he is a ways away from Stan Makita and specifically has 268 points, the fact that he could get that in his career, does that keep him in Chicago? Or is it Pat Kane's going somewhere else or bust? Uh, for Cal Davidson, and listen, Patrick Kane controls it here. He's got the the no move. He will he will determine where he'll go. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We should probably get in. Uh, I want to wouldn't mind picking up the conversation a little bit more about Jacob Truba and his presence in the game. And I'll see if I can get Marchese to bite because I couldn't get Elliot to bite. I couldn't get Da to bite either. We'll see if Marchese bites on the Babe Die versus Mitch Marner. Yes, we're going back a hundred years on the program, folks. Debate about who really has the consecutive point streak in Toronto hockey history. One's a Maple Leaf, one was a St. Pat's. Uh, That debate, as much as I'm trying to make it a debate here, uh, rages on in moments as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Sportsnet 590, the fan. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Well, welcome back to the program. Here Monday to Friday starting at noon Eastern. Glad to have you aboard whether you are listening uh, across the Sportsnet Radio Network or watching on Sportsnet Now or Sportsnet 360. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your eyeballs and your ears. Matt Marquez, our producer, jumping aboard uh, from Beaton, Ontario. How are you doing today, Matty? I, I'm I'm wonderful, Jeff. I'm wonderful. I'm just I'm I'm thinking how's it, about how's, how... how's everything in, in in how's everything in Rutherford country. Um, not as bad as it is in Vancouver. Mm, it's pretty hot there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good there. No, it, it's uh it's wonderful. We actually have the uh, the beaten Santa Claus parade on on Saturday, so the whole town is definitely looking forward to this big event. <laughs> We had we had that here in Stouffville on Saturday uh, Saturday evening, and the whole town shut down. I know it doesn't. I'm in a small town too, but I I know I know what it's like. I'm not uh, I'm not in the big city anymore. Me and the family moved out. Oh, geez, ten years ago now, just a little bit northeast. So uh, I get it. Um, anyway, hang on. I want you to weigh in on something here because Amber sure. wouldn't do it. Uh, Fried said he'll bring it up on TV tomorrow. We'll see. Where do you fall into? The argument of the consecutive point streak. Now, when you go from season to season, you now from nineteen from twenty one to twenty two, twenty two, twenty three, Babe Die went twenty consecutive games, registering a point. Sixteen in twenty one, twenty two, and four in twenty two, twenty three. Mitch Marner this year has gone nineteen consecutive games all in season. Do you respect? The, diff- the difference between crossing seasons and in-season? Or do you say, no, man, all you can do is play the games they present you. And Babe Die played 20 games in a row and got 20 points. Where do you fall on okay. that one? All right. So as much as I would like to call you crazy, because you know that I do enjoy that, um, I actually yeah, you think that you're – Yeah, I actually think you're right here, Jeff. I think that that is the streak. And the reason is – 
20 games is mm. 20 games. Um, why? Like, it, it may actually have been more difficult. Mm, maybe I should maybe I should watch what I'm saying here. It might have actually have been more difficult to carry over the streak into the following year. Like there is a momentum is something. It's not nothing, but it is something. Um, yes, Mitch Marner's playing yeah. in an era where the game is uh, the players are a lot better, and I understand that. But I just don't understand yeah. how that streak it's just it essentially doesn't matter because it's not recognized as the actual streak. I think it's I think it's factually incorrect that they that they have it that way. I think that well, the streak should actually be 20. So the NHL only recognizes consecutive point streaks in season. Obviously they recognize things like the Iron Man um, going from one season to another because, you know, you can't have an Iron Man if everybody resets every year. So I, I understand that. Um, now, Babe died. You know, Mitch Marner did climb over Babe died. That's when he was at 16. Like the minute that Mitch Marner went 17 games, he climbed over Babe Die. But the other, again, the, the point is, you know, Babe Die's season ended and then he just continued. And for the next, the first four games of the following season, got points in those first four. So I don't know. Like, I, I think we're kind of splitting hairs a little bit here um, because to the NHL, like they're point streak standard and you may just say that that's just how that's arbitrary um their point streak uh, has to be within season now i i understand here here's why i understand why if you don't do it based on in season for a team what happens if you know i mentioned babe die in 1926 was made available by the saint pats and ended up going to chicago what if he has that 15, uh, 16 games in the one season, gets traded to Chicago, and then has four the following season? It no longer becomes a record for that team. Like, the minute you get moved, it gets washed out as far as being a record for that team. Yeah, I'm fine so with that. So that I, that I understand. But in this very specific case, Babe Dye didn't get moved and was still a member of the then-called St. Pat's. So some, I, I, think, I think the record should stand as 20. Okay, so everyone who is associated with Mitch Marner's uh, representation group, so everybody uh, from Darren Ferris to the to the Marner family, heap all of your venom on Matt Marchese in beaten Oh, Ontario. I see what you were that's doing all, there. That's where, all the, that's where all, all the anger should go. <laughs> Here, yeah. let me pass Everyone the buck on to you, Just Matt Marchese. Send all, your, send all your heat. Send send all your heat to Matt Marchese. I don't disagree with you. Now, see, I think it would be tremendous if uh, if Marner went two more games uh, and put up points in each, just to end it all together. Yep, I agree. And he might. Like, who knows how long the streak's going to go? All I'm saying is, it's a talk radio point, and I think it's an interesting point to consider, and it also keeps alive. You know, a, 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 a certain a certain player that was crucial in what would have that have been the fourth or fifth season of the NHL and Babe Die. Anyway, talking about a hockey player from 100 years ago, but it still has some resonance 100 years later. Uh, what's on your mind today, Matty? I, I actually did want to weigh in on the Truba thing just because. Okay, you know, go for it. I, I watch, like, the one thing about Jacob Truba, if he was a dirty player, then I think that there should be a call for hey, Jacob Truba, you shouldn't be doing that because you're a dirty hockey player. But generally speaking, his hits are clean. And I don't think that you should be punished for being stronger or a a better hitter, stronger hitter than somebody else. I mean, I think I I don't want to sound like old man yelling at Cloud, but I do hate that at some points we forget that you know, there's still contact in this game. You're still allowed to make a big body check. And I also hate the fact that Mm -hmm. if there's a clean body check that you already, you already have to have your hands up ready to fight somebody. I I hate that about the game. Like if it's a dirty hit, absolutely go after the guy and do what you got to do. But on clean hits, the fact that you have to answer the bell all the time, like it just, it makes my brain hurt, Jeff. It makes your brain hurt, but your heart understands it. 
I do. Because I'm like I you. Like, I look at that I and I say, it. well, that, and I say, well, and I say, well, that's that's stupid. I remember talking to. I remember. I think it was it was Brad May. I was having this conversation with about this, and I asked him, and I said, well, you know, why why does it draw the automatic response? And he said, well, one, it's to protect our players because even though it's legal, we don't want that to happen to our guys. And anything you can do to dissuade someone from from hitting our our teammates, we're gonna do it. And then he said something that's always stuck with me. He said, hockey's a game of momentum, and a big check can swing momentum. So at that moment, if you start a fight, the whistle blows, and you stop the momentum. He said, it's, it's done as much tactically as anything else. That At that moment, you're killing all the energy a team can get from that big hit. We're having a fight, and we're stopping this game right now. We're not letting you gather any momentum. That one's always stuck with me because I'm with you. Yeah. Like you see a big hit, and all of a sudden, okay, who's who's coming, right? And th- this goes this this has been this has been going on forever in the NHL. Like, think about <clears throat> okay, I'm trying to think of a good one here. One of the best fights of the last I don't know forty years has been Rick Tockett and Wendell Clark. Okay, so this is after Wendell Clark steamrolls. Who was it? Mark Howe. And then one of the one of the Sutters did a flyby, and like right away, Wendell hits How, and he's looking. He thought it was going to be Sutter, so the gloves are off, and he he reaches out to try to grab him, and then realizes, okay, it's going to be Tockett. But this has been going on for a long time. As much as once upon a time we want to pretend that it didn't happen, eh, this has been going on for a long time. Now there were some moments too where a guy will get trucked, and you know the vet will kind of you know go down the bench and say, "Hey kid, you might want to keep your head up because so and so is out there." This used to happen a lot during New Jersey Devils games when a certain Scott Stevens patrolled the blue line. Um, but I'll, I'll go back to to the original point that that I was making off the top of the show. Jacob Truba stands out because there are so few players that play that way. And I think that the best hitters you're going to see now outside of the Trubas are, and we should, we, you know, we, you know we should throw into this conversation too is Braden McNabb. Cause there's another one that, uh, that really damages with his hits and isn't shy, but we're almost at a point now where, and we saw this with Kale McCarr previously, who's laid out some doozies. And we saw it yesterday in the Buffalo-San Jose game with Rasmus Dahlin. It's almost to the point where now hitting is so tricky, and if you miss, you take yourself out of the play, so generally players stay away from it. This is going to maybe just turn into the domain of whoever the best skaters are that aren't shy, they're probably going to make your best hitters. Like, you could make the case that Maybe they may not be as violent as some of the other body checks. Certainly not as violent as the McNabb hits or the Tom Wilson hits um, or the Jacob Truba hits. But Kale McCarr hits like a freight train. And it's all because he's a great skater. And he can do it and come away with the puck. Like the thing about the thing about Kale McCarr hits is they are what we're supposed to define body checks as. Now, let me clarify myself. There's a big difference between body checking and hitting. Hitting is just hitting. You've hit someone. And under hits, you know, the statisticians, you know, you, you hit someone, as long as there's not a penalty, you get a little check mark. You've, you've hit someone, so you get credit for one hit, regardless of what happens to the puck. Okay, so like uh, Casey Sezikis can come screaming in on Travis Konechny, who's got the puck by the boards. Konechny sees him coming, passes the puck back to Provorov. Sezikis hits Konechny, even though the puck has gone back to the Flyers defenseman, hits him, and he still gets credit for a hit. But a lot of people that follow the classic definitions of these things will tell you that's not a hit. That's not a hit. That should show up nowhere. Because somewhere along the way, body checking turned into hitting. Hitting is a tactic. Body checking is a stat. And what a body check is, is physical contact that causes a turnover or a change of possession. In the Sezikis Konechny example that I just gave you, there's contact, yes, but the second part doesn't happen, and that is change of possession. And that's the thing about Makar, 
if you look at Kale McCarr's hits, we spend so much time talking about his skating and his points and offense, et cetera, et cetera. He's a really great body checker because, A, he hits like a truck because he's fast enough and he gets his body into great position because he's a great skater. But, B, he comes out with possession of the puck. It's one thing to be able to hit. It's another thing to be able to body check. And the real great ones aren't just the ones that lay the thunderous body checks, but they're the ones that lay the thunderous body checks and the puck changes possession. Right now, we just go, wow, that guy got 300 hits. He's a killer. How many actual body checks were in there where the puck changed possession? I would argue not as many as you think. What do you think of that one, Maddie? No, I, I think that's probably correct. And just in general, we don't see a lot of hits. I mean, in the playoffs, we see them more. We don't. And yeah, and and I, I think the I think what you said about Truba was was very accurate in that there are not very many that hit like Jacob Truba does. So it is more um, it is more evident when somebody does it, or it is, it is a bigger deal <clears throat> when somebody does it. I also think that the reason why I'm pro- I probably get so uh, perturbed about the hit after the the fight after the clean hit is because there's just less fighting in the game so i think it's more noticeable when it does in fact happen i i've always wondered about like i've always again like you i've always wondered about the automatic fight and to me, it comes back to what we love sports about. To me, sports is about the argument that your head has with your heart. And to your point, like, I don't like it because I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. But I don't know that sports is supposed to make sense, if that makes any sense. That isn't sports at its best when it's being led by your emotion. And emotion, yes. like, and emotionally, do you not understand that? You just hit our guy. We're going to pay you back. But it was a clean hit. We don't care. Yeah, it's fa- it's a fair, and I never make, really thought of make, it that way. Like, like that makes it doesn't make logical sense, but does it make emotional sense to you? Oh yeah. And again, we're and talking the, and about the, a really and the rough thing does too. played in very contained quarters. Yeah, the momentum thing does too. Just to shut down momentum. Anyhow, exactly. Um, what else on your mind? What a weekend for Brady Kachuk, by the way. Yeah, he uh, he's a monster. Honestly, like he is. Yeah, he's great. That is that is a player that I would not be unhappy starting my franchise with. I will say that. Yep, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. I did want to get to an American player though, because you teed it up before the break. Um, so Patrick King gets the point. Yeah, yeah he gets the point twelve hundred, and I the thought crossed my mind of okay, how much does breaking the Chicago Blackhawks point record, which is held by Stan Mikita, which is fourteen hundred and sixty-seven? So Patrick Kane needs two hundred and sixty-eight points. Um, it's not going to happen in two years. We know that. It's probably going to take mm, three or four years for him to get there. I don't know what legacy with one franchise means for athletes anymore in general. Um, I don't know. I I can't say that I know what it means for Patrick Kane. But I do wonder, because Patrick Kane has the Stanley Cups already, if that is something that he Mm -hmm. looks at as something that is very important in his career. If Patrick Kane had no Stanley Cups, I would say absolutely. He wants to get traded to a contender. He wants to win a cup. But he's won Stanley Cups. I do wonder if he just says, you know what? I think I want to stick around here and try and break this record. Because that also talks to longevity of a career but longevity in one city which we really don't see a whole heck of a lot of anymore i i said the thing that i've always wondered about with patrick kane is does he ultimately want to be seen as the best u.s born hockey player ever like does he want to be seen as you know the best chicago blackhawk ever or does he want to be seen as the best american hockey player ever and there's Can been a I lot make of the individual success. There's been team success as well. You could, but I'll come back with Chris Chelios. Yeah, that's. But that's, again, Pat Keane's career it's hasn't, hasn't wrapped up yet. Yeah, I listen. I love Chelios. I, I to, to me, it's 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 still Chelios. But I think you're going to be able to. Again, you know, you don't want to make the argument until the career is wrapped up. But yeah, Kane's right there. Just like I think that Austin Matthews is going to be one of those guys too, and we'll see what happens with Jack Eichel. 
to say nothing of other players that are on the, on the horizon. Like one of the things, like you go around, you talk to a lot of people in, in, involved in hockey at various levels in Canada, and they'll tell you the same thing. Americans are cranking out consistently elite, elite, elite players. They have the resources, they have the infrastructure, they have the money. Um, a lot of American athletes where, you know, your first choice is going to be, you know, football or basketball or baseball or track and field or whatever. Now you're starting to get the elite athletes choosing hockey first. That's a scary thing for the rest of the world. So as much as we talk about all the great Americans that have, you know, that, that, have, that were, were spawned from 1980 and then were spawned from 96 and then, you know, these, you know, elite level players that are coming out now, there's going to be even, like, who did I mention last week? Do you remember who I talked about? John Mooney Jr., who I think is like 14 yeah. years old. He plays in the Pittsburgh, uh, the Penn's elite program. This kid is ridiculous. You know, Logan Cooley's cousin. Like, he is ridiculous. There are more and more super elite players coming from the United States. So whoever has it in this generation probably is not going to have it in the next generation. That's the quality of athlete that you're getting. Although... I think you look at someone like Austin Matthews and you probably say to yourself, if that guy would have chosen football, he probably would have been great. If that guy would have chosen baseball, he probably would have been great as well. But he's the example of that elite-level athlete whose first choice ended up being hockey. And we haven't really seen that historically amongst American athletes in this sport, but you're getting it now. So I've always wondered about Kane. And does Kane want to be seen as temporarily as it may be because they're cranking out more and more the best U.S.-born player of all time. Now, the one thing I also do know about Patrick Kane is he does have a strong sense of what history means and what historical records mean and what that Makita record means in Chicago. Is that a lure? Maybe. I don't know. But I think it's a good, I think it's a, an, an, interesting, an interesting debate to have. I just can't help but coming back to this idea that he wants to be the best U.S.-born player of all time. And can you make the argument for him already? Yeah, you probably can. Maybe I'm just an old man who loves Chris Chelios. No, <laughs> I put that. And that's, I'm just an and old, that's old hockey fan that loves Chris Chelios. Yeah. So, okay, so my question now is, being the, the greatest born American player, does it matter which city you finish in? Like, does it mean more to be in Chicago than, let's say, Colorado? Or, you know, if he plays in Canada for a couple of years, does that matter? I think that it happens so rarely now that maybe it does. Like you look at Patrice Bergeron, for example, right? Like he's spent his entire career with the Boston Bruins. Uh, I think the only team that he would stray for, um, and Elliot asked him this one on my behalf during a, the, the sit-down that he did with him, um, if the Quebec Nordiques, because he grew up a huge Nordiques fan, if the Quebec Nordiques ever got a franchise, would he want to play at least one final season? with the Quebec Nordiques, just so he could wear that jersey. And he told Ellie, yeah, that, that might be the only team. I think because it happens so rarely, you know, like you always worry about, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. Some players would probably worry about, you know, what their hockey DB is going to look like. And it's like 17 or 18 years with one team and then just like some rogue team right at the very end as you went to try to chase a Stanley Cup or chase an individual record or something. Interesting conversation. Uh, a lot of them today as we kicked off another week here on the Merrick program. I want to thank David Amber for stopping by, Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now, uh, as well, of course, Elliot Frieden for kicking things off. And don't forget, tonight, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. This is a good one, man. 8.30 Eastern, the puck drops. Pre-game at 8 o'clock. It is the Edmonton Oilers and the Washington Capitals. Flames and Coyotes at 9 Eastern on Sportsnet 1. On Sportsnet Pacific at 10.30, it is the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. Enjoy the games tonight. Back tomorrow, noon Eastern, for more of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Samuel Cast on Sportsnet 360. Talk to you tomorrow.